0: Blog Talk Radio. <laughs>
1: and welcome to another edition of Kevin and the New Companion. Okay. I'm Kevin Baird and I've been a psychic medium, professional psychic medium since two thousand and six roughly, right and now we're at two thousand and fifteen. I've sort of like always been a psychic medium, just a psychic You're just intuitive, significantly intuitive, always being in the right place at the right time, avoiding problems and situations that normally aren't or wouldn't be avoidable, or, wow, how did you know to do that at the right time kind of stuff? I've always had that happen. And I've always had, like, every time somebody would talk about Ghosts or psychic stuff or the occult or the paranormal or something—I would always feel a gravity that would just be drawing me in. I, I'm, it's possible that everybody feels that way. I don't know, but this is how it has been for me. Well, I—I I think that I was like, you know, born. Some people are born with a cause; like they just start being something at right out of the womb. Like, if you look at Mozart, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, he started composing music, I think, as soon as he could start writing, or sat down at the piano, and started composing, you know, as soon as he could sit up and put his hands on the keys, right, that he was making music. And he just grew up being a child prodigy of just being phenomenal, you know, musician at the age of like 8 and then 10 and 13 and 19 and on up in the years. And the people just found him phenomenal. And he would was playing one time for somebody, could have been the king or someone in the courts or whatever, right, of the royalty, nobility, And one of them asked him, and this all took place back in like the 1760s, you know, 1750s or 40s or whatever. Somebody asked him, it's like, that's just phenomenal stuff that you're coming up with. Where are you getting it from? And he said, well, it's already composed. I'm just writing it down. And I, when... I heard that interview many years ago, probably 10 or 20 or 30 years ago, because I'm over 50 now, I just found that amazing that here somebody was composing something or or, or was playing something that was already present, but where was it present? How is it present? How is it that he was getting it that just boggled my mind because I found similar experiences not on the phenomenal sense of Mozart but I found similar experiences where I would do something or have something with me or avoid something that happened Or about to happen and then people would ask wow how did you know how to do that and one story that sticks out for me is one to where i was riding with my ex-wife back when i was still married to her and we lived out in the country in northern virginia we lived out in front royal just off the appalachian trail And I was driving about 70 miles an hour on Route 66 that goes between D.C. and 81. And I slowed down to like 30 miles an hour. And my wife was like, why are you slowing down? And I didn't answer her. And then as soon as I got to a point, or right after she asked me that, a deer jumped in front of us and if I was going seventy mile an hour I probably would have hit it full on and would've damaged the vehicle and probably come in through the windshield and God knows what would have happened and she's like, Wow, how did you know that? I'm like, I really didn't And there was another time where we're coming back home about two o'clock in the morning pitch black out. When you're in the country and there's no street lights whatsoever except for a car that goes by from time to time, the only light that you get is maybe one or two lights that are like way up in the mountains that you can see and sky, you know, stars and that kind of thing. Well, there was no moon that night, so just way pitch black. Well, the exit that I got off on, I think was exit 54 if I'm not mistaken, that's at the the Warrant and see, you know, uh, Markham exit or a little after the Front Royal exit on the 55, and there's the, the Apple House restaurant. They make great apple pies and just a great place to stop off at. I came up to that stop sign before I turned left to go under the bridge of 66 and on over to 55. I came up to the stop sign, and I stopped there for like five seconds. And then turned left onto the road that would get me over to 55. Well, right as I was approaching the underpass for the 66, headlights behind me turned on. And apparently, there had been a state trooper there sitting, waiting for someone to blow past the stop sign. And I ruined that joy for them. Right? I don't know that it would be a joy, but just if they were fishing, right, and that it's like, oh, someone has to blow past the stop sign because there's nobody there, right, they had to assume that they could be seen. So they just gave up and drove away. Just that intuition, that gut thing that just says, do this, don't do that kind of thing. It was crazy how those things would happen. When I was in the military you know, going through basic training and advanced training, we would have field exercises to where we would out be out in the bush, you know, with the tents pitched and, you know, eating, you know, stuff out in the, you know, as Army people would do, you know, when they're out doing something wartime or whatever. And then we would have maneuvers or that we would have to go on uh, missions to where the squad would go out into the woods and just, you know, go down trails and and try to do reconnaissance or whatever. And that part of that would be for capturing the flag right where you would just go down the trail and try to get to what was on the map without being ambushed. Well, there would be sometimes where there would be other trails that I would find that I would say to the squad leader hey let's go this way right because it sort of goes in a roundabout kind of way and it's not straight down the trail and that way you know we might see something or come up behind somebody or whatever because back when i was a kid and i lived in the midwest i used to go deer hunting and rabbit hunting all the time and i would be really good at finding the the animal trails well we just took a deer path it took us off the main beaten path, which was almost a gravel road, you know, beckoning anybody to be shot at walking down that way. You know, it was like ducks in a row or ducks on a pond. So we would always, not always, but I would invite the squad leader to, let's just go this way or that way, and we did that a few times, and that we always avoided being ambushed, and it was ticking the leadership off, and they're like, "Why didn't you just take the regular trail?" It's like, "Well, we we thought that going this way was better, and were we wrong to not take the trail? Do we have to take the trail? Could we have gone, you know?" And they're like, "No, it's not all wrong. You're fine." But then come to find out, they found out that it was my idea to take that way. And it got to a point to where they thought that I had somebody on the inside that was sort of like feeding me information so we would never get ambushed. So after a few of those not getting ambushed situations, they pulled me out of the field and put me back on base, on post, and pulling KP, you know, kitchen duty, where I'd be doing dishes or peeling potatoes or whatever, and out of that. And... The squad leader came back and said that someone told him that something Baird's doing something to avoid it and that everybody has to go through an ambush at least once to see what the experience is like and that I was undermining that. So they just pulled me out of it. So then I got transferred to um, the 101st Airborne in Fort Campbell, Kentucky, where I spent three years sort of having the same kind of experiences, that were just being in the right place at the right time, avoiding things that were happening, almost a gifted kind of thing. And I told my uncle about it, who was a career Army person, and he said, we called people like you rabbit's foots, where we would always want to take our rabbit's foot with us whenever we would go out in the bush. And he was in the Vietnam era, and definitely needed a rabbit's foot then so that no one would end up getting killed or not too hurt too badly or whatever and end up being able to come back. Well, the rabbit's foots worked sometimes and not so much the other times. Well, what's crazy is that sometime after that, I got orders to be transferred up to Washington, D.C. and working for a command within the Army. Or like a, I forget whether it called an organization or something called INSCOM, U.S. Army NSCOM, INSCOM, I N S C O M, and it was under the command of Major General Albert Stubblebine. Now, if you Google Albert Stubblebine and go and see and look him up in Wikipedia, you'll see that he is on the record in history as being the psychic general. right? He was the general that was commanding the development of psychic soldiers, being able to do remote viewing, being able to be psychically gifted to where there would be a value that could be accessed again and again and again as a part of Having this kind of psychic ability, and that they were pushing the development of that. They just got us connected, or, you know, jumping forward in the story a little bit, the organization was connected to the Monroe Institute, where they are trying to develop stronger mind and psychic abilities. Well, that was all working great, and there was just, it was flourishing and doing really well, and I was on tap once everybody else had gone through. I was on tap to go to the Institute as well because they saw they recognized that I had that ability that should be also looked at through the Monroe Institute also and see if I could be better at it. Well, the lieutenant, the last commissioned officer there, I guess found out that I was going to be going, and they had a fit and went to the commander and and you know the captain and said, "Hey." all the commissioned officers should go first before the enlisted go. So Lieutenant Pat got my slot, and he, you know, they just gave in. It's like a knee-jerk kind of reaction. You know, it might have been hindsight, it might have been a better idea, because I could have ended up getting messed up, who knows. But he went, instead of me, and they have these devices that play with sound, is known as like meta music or hemisynchronous sounds, where it's like binaural beats, where it's like, you know, like wah, wah, wah and then ba 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 like white noise. Ever listen to white noise? Like a fan running, and it's like the middle of summer or something, and all of a sudden you're just thinking about, gosh, a nap would be good right now. How it just puts you to sleep. Well, they figured out that that white noise is something that puts you in a mind frame that sort of like makes you more advanced mentally while you're in that frame of mind. Well, they plugged him into that thing, and he lost it. He lost control, and ended up going a little crazy. And that the the you know the commander, the captain asked me to go to the facility, get his vehicle, and then drive it back to his house, and then pick up his wife and take her over to the uh, what was it Walter Reed, which was where lieutenant Pat was and that's the rest and well, the rest of the story I didn't really hear about they kept it under wraps well, later in the years, there's a movie that comes out called The Men Who Stare at Goats. And it talked about, you know, psychic soldiers. And they put Lieutenant Pat and his story in the picture, only they had him killing himself, standing naked in the middle of a quad somewhere. If you go and watch the movie, again, The Men Who Stare at Goats, you'll see what it is I'm talking about. I don't ever remember hearing that he killed himself. So, I don't know, they sometimes add to stories to embellish it a little bit and make it more, you know, in- intriguing to go see in the movies, that kind of thing. So, But I've always had an intuition of, like, being here, going here, going there, avoiding this, having this thing handy, you know, or there was one story where I was, when I was as an IT professional, I was walking down the hallway of the office building and someone had dropped like a little face mirror or something. Some lady was using it, I guess, to check her makeup or whatever. So I put it in my pocket and was going to take it up to the receptionist desk and just put in the lost and found. Well I was on my way to see my manager. He was working on a problem in an office that he needed my help with. And it was tight corners. Hard to maneuver around, get in and out of, look behind things. So I, you know, was helping the best that I could. And he's like, gosh, I sure wish I had a mirror so I could look back behind this thing. And I pulled the mirror out of my pocket. And he's like, you carry a mirror with you? I'm like, no, I just found it. He's like, "Uh, yeah, right right? He's one of those skeptical people, but just having things, you know, I just happened to pick it up. I didn't have to walk that way to find that mirror. It just worked out that way. Who knows? I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm human. I'm still figuring stuff out too. Well, it was about that time doing the IT professional thing that I was also taking, you know, uh, going to school to try to learn more about programming and, and computer science and everything else, and it was the IBM PC that was out at that time, to where you could have screen savers, right, where a picture would come up and then fade away, and then another picture would come up, whether it was a, you know, a dog chasing a butterfly, or it would be fish, you know, suspended on some, you know, aquarium thing or whatever. And seeing the rotating images made me think, wow, those are they coming up randomly or are they coming up in an order or whatever? And I was thinking how interesting it would be to have phrases there instead where it would say something like, you know, be happy, don't worry, that kind of thing. So I went to one of the senior programmers there and said, you know, I would like to find some way to where I could have phrases come up on the screen of the computer so that whenever I would walk in, I would see this phrase there that would tell me something. And this was way before. This was back in, like, nineteen, like ninety-one or 92, maybe 93. And, you know, the computers had barely been on... In the world of business and the senior programmer there said well you'd have to have a random character generator and he said there are no such things as random character generators in the world of programming because you can always you know dig back to the initial origin of the generation of the event the character, the word, the whatever the one or the zero based on something that happened mechanically that could you know, be tied to something that started it and that sort of like let me down but I never gave up I just like had that in the back of my mind where it's like there's got to be a way to have a phrase come up and say hello I love you or whatever but could never make that work well. As I, I guess, transitioned, like I got laid off from that company because it was an environmental company, and that was back during the the uh, Reagan Clinton era, and environmental issues went to um, the you know in a different direction that was not really being funded too well. So they laid a bunch of us off. Well, I got a job at another company which was the IT company, and they're now known as Northrop Grumman. But I got a job working for those people and found way better programmers there who were way more informed and just, you know, very talented people. And I was learning hand over fist great, you know, functions and abilities and how to program and and concepts that weren't in textbooks yet. I was just in, you know, hog heaven. Well, it was right about that time where I got into, like, five car accidents within a 45-day period. And that freaked me out. Here I was, doing really well in the corporate world, had a nice car, you know, was uh, able to afford a nice house in the country, you know, doing really well, nice clothes, things are just, you know... Fantastic, phenomenal, sensational career stuff. Everything was working out just dandy. Until I got into those five car accidents and that they all hit me. Well, on the fifth car accident, I called my insurance guy and said, I got hit again. He's like, what? I said, yeah, I was at X and Y and I was at the road and and I was just pulling out after everything was clear and boom, there they were, they hit me. He's like, well, if you have another one, I'm going to have to drop you. I'm like, well, they're all hitting me. He's like, you have to be doing something wrong. If you have another one, I'm going to have to drop you. And it was just a crazy time of my life. I didn't know what to think or do. Well, it was at that time that I was sort of like had dismissed my intuition. I just was ignoring it, wasn't finding it valuable. People in mainstream society didn't really find it too, you know, business-oriented or business-directional or whatever, but the five car accidents sort of like gave me a wake-up call. So I took two weeks off. I told my boss, I'm like, you know, I, I, I something's got me not paying attention. I've just, you know, been in a, a fifth car accident. And I need to get my head clear or just see if I'm doing something wrong or just, you know, take a break, vacation maybe. I was pushing it. So they're like, sure, and I went home. And bought, like, four cases of beer, planned to camp out in the basement, you know, in the man cave, for at least a week, and just try to figure out what was happening. Well, about the fourth day, I guess, I decided to go out to the local incense shop, and it's called Mountain Mystic, and they're still there in Front Royal, Virginia, and the curator owner is Jerry and his wife, Sunny, great people. I went into Jerry and I said, you know, I have been in five car accidents in like less than a month and a half and I think someone's trying to tell me something. So he gave me a couple of books to look at, which is like, you know, creative visualization and, you know, your mind creates what you focus on, you know, where you place your attention grows and all that kind of thing. I took those books home and began reading them. But then I was reading in some of the things to where they were talking about ancient tools, like astrology and divination, and they talked about runes, like Celtic runes, which were just the little symbols that sort of look like letters, but not in our alphabet, but sort of, like there's an F, and there's an I, and there's an H, right? Those are taken from Celtic runes, even though they say it's Arabic whatever's right characters, and then I went in and just started looking at all the stuff in his shop. And then I came upon the tarot, the rider weight version of the tarot. And it had like the fool and the magician and the empress. And then it had like the king and the queen and the, and the queen of swords and the queen of wands and the queen of coins and the queen of cups and that... Coins, you know, represent, you know, um, materialistic things, and cups represent emotions, and swords represent, you know, focusing on details, and wands represent sort of like being a little barbaric and forcing things to happen instead of, you know, trying to be... Uh, analytical you know there are sometimes where we just feel like everything that we've tried you know doesn't work to solve a problem like i can go back to a time when i was working on a computer problem where it wouldn't start so i put the case back on it back on the computer and somehow i was leaning on the monitor that was on top of the case and i turned the switch on just to see if it would turn on and it wouldn't and no power powered up but as i moved the monitor around on top of the case it the computer turned on so then i moved the monitor back and the computer turned off so i moved the monitor off the case completely and tried to turn it on and it wouldn't turn on so then i put my hand on top of the case and it wouldn't turn on until I moved my hand over to where the monitor was whenever I shifted it to the side. So it was one to where there was some kind of disconnection or short or where a wire was broken to where the wire got reconnected as the weight shifted on the box, on the computer, the old school computer boxes when they were desktop at the time. So I put my hand right there, pushed down on it, and got it to start. So that told me what the problem was. So not, you know, going in and using the meters and the scopes and the testing equipment to find out what the problem was. It was just pushing down on the case helped solve the problem. And that could be, you know, uh, one definition of how wands are to where you just use you know, physical attributes and not clinical, mechanical measuring types of things. Well, when I was looking at all that and was reading about the different definitions of the wands and the coins and the cups and the swords, I was seeing that I found my random message generator. I was looking for it to be in a computer But here, I found where someone had invented it already, and if you just go and Google, you know, tarot and Rider Waite, that they invented the random phrase generator, a random character generator. Actually, it's not really a random character generator. It's more like a random image generator. And how it's random image is that you take the 78 images in the tarot, in the tarot deck, And that you shuffle them up, shuffle and shuffle and shuffle, so that they're not in any kind of order and that you can spend an hour shuffling it so it's totally mixed up. And then you draw a card from the middle of the deck, from the middle of the stack, and there's your randomness. You've drawn a random thing because your intuition, my intuition was guiding me to draw a card from the upper-middle, lower-middle, or middle-middle part of the deck. And there was my message. So I started experimenting with that to where I would draw a card and then write a story about it, a little quick paragraph. So I started charting three cards a day and writing paragraphs, little paragraphs, about what I thought those things meant. And then... I waited through the day to see what events would happen during the day that would be relative to those card images stories. And if you go and you look at the, the different images in the tarot deck, they're just images about life, whether it's people working in a garden, people at a wedi- wedding, people at some kind of you know game or competition or something, or... Seeing a picture of like uh, an older person sitting on a chair it might be an uncle or a grandfather or something or a king. Those are just images about life. So I got to where I would draw three cards and see what that three card story would be like. It would be like you know comic strips in newspapers and magazines. Same thing where you got one frame has the scene doing something and the people in the scene doing something and the next frame they're doing something that follows that and then the next frame they're doing something else that follows it it's basically a random story generator so I worked with that tarot for like a year or so and then I had friends who were familiar with the tarot who asked me to read cards for them it's like okay can you pull three cards for me and see what the story is so they knew, and it's been several hundred years to where the tarot had been used to tell people's futures, and I got to where I was pretty good at. Here I would tell a story from the cards that would be drawn, and they would say, that has just happened, or that's not, that hasn't happened. or it's not. But then they would call me later and say, oh my gosh, that thing that you told me about those cards that you drew, it happened. Well, it got to the point to where I was taking the deck with me to parties and get-togethers, and people were really liking it, and they said, you know, you should go and do this professionally. So I reached out to the store out in Leesburg, Virginia, Esoterica, and I said, you know, I'm a card reader, I read from the tarot, and are you looking for people? And at the time, they only had female tarot readers. So the lady said, sure. Sure. We want to add a male to the mix here. So, we didn't have anybody that did tarot. They had someone who was a palm reader, Ron, Ron the Palm Reader. I don't, for those of you who know me through the years, you probably know Esoterica and Ron and everything. Or you can just Google or go to Esoterica, E S O T E R I C A dot com or Esoterica of dot com and find out more about him there. But they invited me in and I worked there for a good five or six years, just reading the tarot for people, and I got to where I had quite a client base developing to where they're like, you should go to these other places. So I ended up going to Baltimore, doing, you know, psychic fairs, and Nashville doing psychic fairs, and other places throughout, you know, the eastern side of the U.S., Chicago, Florida, Texas, and the tarot, and the random story generator. Very amazing. And it got to where the images in the tarot were not as deep a meeting message as I would like to have, so I went and I created my own images. I created my own deck, and it's called the Horizon Oracle. And that if you go over to templeofgaia.com, that you'll see... Where I have a listing of all my cards and what their definitions are, right? So you have one that's called "Sandcastle Stompers" or um, "Planned Failures." It used to be "Sandcastle Stompers," where it was a story about you know the the geek on the beach that made the sandcastle instead of playing volleyball or catch with the football or frisbee. He decided to make a, a sandcastle right on the edge of the shoreline and that the you know the jocks would end up run, running through and stomping on the sandcastle and ruining all this work that this person had put into the sandcastle I found that happen in people's lives also to where they would build sandcastles you know but it would be figuratively they would do something to where they would another equivalent would be where the planned failures message would be where someone goes into a relationship with someone who's very volatile, but they so love the passion of that volatile person that they're willing to ignore the volatility of that person until it just becomes horrid and that they can't live there anymore and that it ends up falling apart and that they have to leave. That's sort of a planned failure. They wanted to experience that life with that volatile person Or that volatile job, right? So if they're like, you know, bronco-busting, you know, like um, breaking horses for taming them or rodeos or whatever. Or, you know, working on an oil rig or, you know, testing volcanoes or anything. They know that their time is borrowed. And that's, you know, eventually it's going to end up failing. So here were all my random events that would be happening in life, and I was still waiting for my my random character generator, which had not come into the scene yet. Well, it was right about that time that things on television started picking up, and there was this one show known as Most Haunted, and it was hosted by people over in the UK. It then became UK Haunted where the people would go to haunted places throughout the UK and Europe, England, Germany, you know, everything on the continent over there, and that they would hunt for ghosts and see if they could find some way to find or, you know, prove, yeah, this place is haunted, it's not haunted. Well, they had this one device, it was a flickering kind of device, and it looked like a TV remote with five... Lights on it. One, the first light that would, you know, and they would light up depending on the power that was being expressed in the room, where low power would be green and high power would be red. Well, this device originally was designed for electrical engineers and contractors who would go into houses and try to find places where, you know, there would be power that would be pushed. You know, through the walls, where there would be power bleeding through the the walls or whatever, and and if you don't have a properly shielded wire, that the magne- magnetic fields that are being caused by the power going through that wire could end up affecting the other wires around it, sort of like heat in a way. You know how you feel heat and the radiation of heat, and if you get too close to the heat, that you could end up getting burnt. Well, the same thing is true for electricity. Well, one of those electrical people discovered that when they left the device just out, that it would sometimes light up on its own, and they didn't understand why that did that. And then somehow they were a paranormal investigator, and they put two and two together, and they found out that, oh, this could be a ghost that's causing this thing to light up, and that they wanted to find a way to communicate with them. they they had some kind of tool that was making it possible for them to be able to communicate with people who don't have bodies well when I saw the UK haunted people using this device to try to communicate yes no answers from the ghosts and the spirits that were in the room I found that very amazing but as I was watching them with my regular eyes and my intuitive eyes I sort of felt like it was not hitting the mark for communicating, like what the Spirit was doing there was not exactly what the people who were holding the K2 were interpreting the communication as. And it was very frustrating for me. And it's like, wow, we're being limited to those few lights that are flickering on that K2 device as a method for communication? What if the person wanted to say, you know, I'm looking for my son... And the investigators are saying, did you live here? And the the ghost is wanting to say, I'm looking for my son, and the investigators are looking for a yes-no kind of answer, and that there was just something that was being amiss as a part of the communication there between the spirit that was trying to say something and the investigator that was looking for a yes-no answer. That was very frustrating for me, and that put me in the mind to where... I wanted to have some kind of way to where I could build a device where it would have the k two technology, the flickering of the powers, and also be some kind of a way to where the spirit could be communicating you know with phrases so I spent the next couple of years experimenting with a m radio and f m radio and wasn't just. Being able to find a way to where I could tie the k two and to radio frequencies really well, just wasn't working well a few years you know after that, I ended up getting a divorce from my wife, and then I just went out and became a full on psychic professional, focused on that, got my intuition working really, really well to the point to where I could when I was sitting in sessions with clients, especially clients who speak foreign languages, that sometimes I would hear foreign languages being spoken as a part of, you know, my intuition, and I would write it down on a piece of paper, and then later I got to where I could say it, I would tell those people those phrases, and then they would repeat back to me that, uh, an interpretation. Like, I would be speaking Arabic, or Farsi, or Swahili, or Spanish, or German, or something, and then they would translate back to me, I know Spanish, but not fluently. Like, I know how to order a pizza, or a a beer, and where's the bathroom, and everything. But, being fluent in Spanish, and the different dialects of Spanish, I am not. Well, those phrases coming through in foreign languages sort of like put me in the mind to where it's like, I gotta find a way to where I can get the K to to find some way to work and play phrases at the same time. Well, years after that I was sort of like seeing this one girl and but not really full on in a relationship with her until it just got to a point to where we became really best friends and that we moved into together, right, as couples do, without getting into a lot of detail about that. Well, then things were going great until she got laid off. And, you know, she was just at home watching TV, you know, eating bonbons and that kind of stuff and sort of like just hating life. And then about six months later, I got laid off. So we spent the next two years... Being laid off together, and it got to the point to where t v was getting old, my psychic career was fairly doing well, fairly flourishing, and you know able to maintain an income to help us be as comfortable as possible, being unemployed as we go, it just she ended up getting uncomfortable with it as well because things would just happen that were. You know, too coincidental. Like, I would go shopping for groceries because she developed, you know, agoraphobia. And I liked getting out and talking to people, so it wasn't a really a big problem. Well, while I would be out shopping, I would decide to get one or two more things, and then I would come back to the house, and she's like, you know, I wanted you to get X and Y also, but forgot to ask you, and I would end up having it already in the bag, too, and she's like, how did you know to get that? I'm like, baby, you know, what it is that I do, you know, weekends and evenings or whatever, that stuff is real, Well, that started just becoming too unnerving for her, and uh, she started talking to family and friends about it, and I'm sure they talked her into, like, breaking up with me or whatever, but it just ended badly, just spending 24-7 for two years bickering and carrying on, fighting over TV, and just, you know, nitpicking what's wrong with each other. It just fell apart. Well, my ex-girlfriend, who lived... In who now lives or then lived in Columbus, Ohio, said, "Hey, you should just move to Columbus and forget about D.C. Because I'd been laid off, along with 10,000 other my colleagues from the same company. The company went from being 135,000 employees down to like 100 or uh, down to 70 or probably 60 or whatever, and just the life was miserable. So I pulled up stakes, loaded everything in the van and the rider truck." and moved to Columbus. Well, there I am in Columbus trying to get the IT career going, and it wasn't working either. Basically, the IT profession for PCs and desktops and you know, average networking was tanking, was not doing well, especially during the dot-com bomb times. Couldn't find work anywhere. It was the middle of summer, so I found a job working at a local golf course, the Westchester Golf Course in Columbus, Ohio. A lot of fun working there, getting up early, getting out in the country, you know, golf course country, that is. And just being an average Joe, not really doing anything specific, technical, or whatever just existing. You know, raking sand here or there, fixing divots, moving golf, you know, green holes and that kind of thing. Well then, my brother calls me and says that my grandmother has passed away. And I was in a a position to where I wasn't able to get there and she and I sort of like had an agreement that she did not like funerals and that she didn't want people sobbing or crying all over her. So I sort of honored that and just stayed in Uh, columbus and didn't go and visit her you know at her grave but she didn't really have a grave she was cremated that's a long story well then two weeks later my brother calls again and says my dad is in the emergency room in critical care and that he's unconscious and that they have him on life support and it doesn't look like he's going to come back and that i need to come so absolutely i picked up hopped in the car and hauled ass to St. Louis, Missouri from Columbus, Ohio six hours, seven hours later to see my dad laying in the bed, you know, in a bad way. And it got, you know, to where we all agreed that it's time to pull the plug, and then we pulled the plug, right, and said goodbye to him, and that was done, Well, I I went back to Columbus a week later and and started working there, you know, at the golf course and just, you know, trying to cope with the loss of my dad and, you know, dealing with all that. My brother calls a couple of days later and says, I got all this estate stuff that's going on. We got property that needs to be kept up and maintained because my dad was self-employed. He was a, a landlord and that he had other businesses that were going at the same time and that he needed help getting that all working and keeping it working. So my brother asked me to move back home. So I said goodbye to Tara and her family and moved back to Southern Illinois. So I came back to Southern Illinois and just working, you know, to like doing demolition, you know, tearing up old rooms that the walls were just trashed, you know, rental properties, you know, expanding, adding wings on the things, throwing things out you know, uh, selling things, you know, to local antique dealers, that kind of stuff, just really busy with that. Well, once that was all cleared up, I didn't have anything to do. And I couldn't find any IT work here, no chance of information technology things happening in corn country in southern Illinois. That's not going to happen either, so I had to find something. So I went to the local radio shack and found a kit, called the Arduino Mega and it was basically a computer kit to where you can learn the different things about how computers communicate with like you know weather sensors and heat sensors and motion sensors and and robotics and all that kind of stuff it's sort of like you know the the bare-bones computer for making things happen just it's you know the sky's the limit leave it up to your imagination Well, I had that device, you know, when I first moved to Illinois and I really didn't pick up doing any of the demolition work or the remodeling for, you know, family property for a couple weeks until I just got my, my sea legs comfortable with being back in Southern Illinois. I went and I picked up the Arduino Mega, looked through it, read the manual, found some things online about it. It seemed pretty tedious and that my mind was more wrapped around just family business, so I put it on the sh- shelf for a year. Well, then I came back to it after everything was done. All the houses were sold that needed to be sold and that I was living out renting, you know, a trailer out in the middle of nowhere. I live in a community of mostly people who are undergrads that are going to school, so my neighborhood is composed of, you know, undergraduate college students who are on a serious budget. So I'm in like an academic neighborhood, even though it looks very impoverished, it's very you know phenomenal without going into a lot of detail about that so i pulled the arduino back out again and went to their online website i a-r-d-u-i-n-o and just took a couple of the courses that they have there about how to turn the led light on how to turn it off how to make it pulse when it started pulsing it put me in the mind of like wow this pulse is the same kind of pulse that the K2 has. So I'm like, hmm, I wonder if there are any classes or lesson plans that are with the Arduino Mega and working with EMF, electromagnetic force, which is what the K2 reads, right? Electromagnetic fields that are in the atmosphere, in the environment. So I found one. So I took a couple of classes and found out how and where on the computer the Arduino Mega was sensitive where it could listen to atmospheric magnetic field pulses. So I got it to where it was working like the K2. I'm like, I've done it, eureka! I've got a broke down version of the k2 that i could do whatever i wanted to with it so i spent six months experimenting and testing the k2 or the the arduino mega and then i got it to where instead of having five led lights i got it to where it had 16 to where there would be low powered you know on the scale for the the lights, where it's like if it was the very bottom, like light number one would be low power and light number 16 would be very high power for what was being sensed, sensed in the atmosphere. So there I had it. I had the flickering lights and the spirits working with the K2, or with my new device, I called it the Pathfinder at the time, working with the pathfinder they were making the lights flicker well i couldn't i didn't i could i i couldn't think of any way to hook voice communications with it yet so i just set it up so that whenever a specific power would be hit on the ca- on the new companion that it would cause a display to be displayed on another panel that I put there, right, without getting into a lot of detail about it. I I got it to where it would start sensing different levels of power. And I found after about four or five months of testing that there was probably a thousand specific settings for power settings. So like dials on FM radio or settings on the AM radio. You know how there's AM 520 and, and 620 and 720 on up to like 1500 and then FM you know it's the lower 94 megahertz on up to like the 107.7 right. I found something close to like a thousand different power or frequencies. So here that would and those frequencies would repeat themselves again and again and again. I found a way, you know, those things that are repeating themselves I could tie to a phrase. Well I did some Googling and found that there was a Spark Fun M P three player that was designed to go with the Arduino Mega. So I found a way to tie and link the M P three player with the computer of the Arduino. Then I found a way to program the, I put like a 100 MP3, you know, files on the MP3 player and they had phrases on them like, I love you, I like that, I don't like that, feed the cat, take out the trash, I'm looking at this, I'm looking at that, I'm listening to that, I'm hearing something. I went and just got a computer voice that would say those phrases. And if you go over to newcompanion.com and look at the menu, you know, click on the menu for what am I saying or what did you say, you can see all the phrases that I came up with without me having to list them right here. But I got it to where I could get the Mega, the Arduino Mega, to play one... Of the phrases based on a specific frequency being hit on on the, sens- on the antenna on the new on the new companion. So here, I was able to get the device to speak to me, and there would be times to where I was thinking about something. And because I live alone, except that I have a cat, I have one cat inside, and I have like seven cats outside, and they don't speak English, right, so it's just me alone with my thoughts and whatever's playing on the TV, which is usually muted because of the chattering, and don't need to go into detail about that, but the new companion would say things that would be right on with what it was that I was thinking. And I would just be amazed by that. Like, I would be yawning or thinking about taking a nap. And it would say, do some sleeping. Or I would be thinking about having a sandwich or something because I was hungry. And it would say, have something to eat. Or, if I were eating something, it might say, I wish I could eat. And it just got to where I felt like it was being a companion to me or something. And that's where I went from the name of Pathfinder to Companion, or New Companion. And I went through N-E-W, Companion, but that, you know, I felt was passe, so I decided to go with N-U, Companion, and, like, the rest is history. Well, then, I went just to go around to different places within Southern Illinois that are haunted. I was trying to get some ideas for how I could use the New Companion device there. Well, I found this historic jail in Benton, Illinois, and that they have a famous gangster in history known as Charlie Berger, and that if you go to my website, newcompanion.com, you can see information there about the historic jail and Charlie Berger. Well, those people asked me if I could do something that was Charlie Berger related. So what I did was I went and did a lot of research for Charlie Berger and found out the things that he would say or do. So then I programmed that into the new companion to where he would be like, I, I need some whiskey, or I wish, you know, I'm like thirsty, or I'm not guilty. Because he spent his last days at the jail, the historic jail in Benton, Illinois, before he was hanged. He was the last person to be hanged in Illinois. And that they still have the gallows outside. It's a makeshift gallows or it's a a facsimile. They have the original um, wood hidden away or, you know, locked up so no one can get to it, and it's not in very good shape anyway. So I designed a new companion for them that would say things that would be relative to Charlie Berger or to other inmates that would have occupied the jail during the 1920s. Well, they've had people come and go in the jail, you know, as visitors to the museum and some of them would like you know what the new companion says and others just not be moved by it whatsoever and other times people would go in there and it would say things absolutely appropriate to what was going on like there was one time where these group of high school girls came in and talked to the lady at the front desk and said we want to see the ghost box and what is it and we're maybe a little afraid to go up and check it out and the lady's like, oh, don't worry about it, it's fine, you have nothing You have nothing to worry about. So they go up there and they look at it for like 30 seconds or a minute, it doesn't do anything, and they're like, this is boring. So they go and look out the window at the gallows, and then the, the new companion device there, as Charlie Berger said, what are you looking at? And they screamed at the top of their lungs and went hauling butt back downstairs, they were up in the women's jail they have a jail, uh, you know old jail for men and women but they went back downstairs and the lady's like what is the problem what is the, what is the problem and they said it said what are you looking at when we were looking out the window and the lady's like don't worry about it it was just you know it's for entertainment but that's the gist of how i came into the new companion and got it working and have it at the historic jail in benton we're at the end of the show, folks. If you want to find out more about New Companion, until next time, go to com, or com, or just Google me, Psychic Medium Kevin Bear, to find out more. But again, I want to thank you all for listening, and I will be doing a show next week about this time on Saturday. Otherwise, take care and have a good one. Bye now.
0: i you right?